I'm going to ask everyone to do one thing that's a little out of the ordinary since it wasn't me who messed this up. Um, hey, that's all right. Um, could everybody just stand up and get some blood flow really quick? Because, um, you know, we, normally we'd have at least a song before uh, sermon. So just get some blood flow and then, you know, stretch out a little bit and then sit back down. That's fine. Just, just because we're going to start a sermon here. Um, but also I wanted to announce... Um, Mr. Uh, Minami, you can stay standing. So Timothy over there in the back, you can raise your hand. Uh, he is teaching a class that is specifically for uh, middle schoolers. So anyone who would be in Redemption Youth on Fridays is invited to attend this class. It's a six-week kind of course just in the spring that he'll be teaching. And it's, it's a way of onboarding our kids from Redemption Kids to enter into the morning service and to really appreciate what we do and why we, why we do it on Sunday morning. So I encourage you to send your kids uh, under his care right now. Uh, they'll, they'll have about 30 minutes uh, during the sermon. They'll sit by the picnic tables, by the bathrooms, and just talk about a couple different aspects of the Sunday service. So if you have a kid to send, please do. Or I shouldn't say kid. You're so much older than that. So Awesome. Well, at this time, let's go before our Father and pray. Father, as we continue our journey through your Gospel of Mark, we pray that you would help us know and understand and believe and put into practice and share what we hear. Father, that we would be encouraged by your word, that we would grow, that we'd be rebuked where we need to be rebuked and reproved where we need to be reproved and yet refined, Father, by your gospel and given hope and healing. And uh, we, we ask above all things that you would help us to personally believe and trust and rest in your son Jesus today <coughs> in whom we have redemption in life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so there's a right time for just about everything. And what that means is that there's also a wrong time for just about everything, right? So for example, if we go to a wedding and we are the person at a wedding who is just weeping constantly, right? That's a little bit awkward. It's, a, it's not the right time to be the wailer. Same goes for a funeral. You don't want to be the one cracking jokes, you know, chuckling during the funeral service, right? What would that, what would the, what, what kind of looks would you get in that, in that situation? You'd get some, you know, knock it off. Maybe, maybe somebody might, if my, my wife would hit me on the, on the, on the arm gently, of course, very gently, <laughs> lovingly. <clears throat> yeah, so I say, exactly. There'd be a nice, nice little tap. Hey, knock it off. Um, I hope so because it's not appropriate. Well, the same is true for uh, fasting. So today we're going to talk about, from our, our text this morning, the topic of fasting, and I'm not talking about intermittent fasting, although that's a, that's a fun little thing you can Google search one day. I'm talking about specifically fasting for religious purposes, so we're going to get into that today. Uh, we're in the season, a season of Lent, excuse you, we're, we're in the season of Lent right now where uh, many Christians around the world are fasting right now, so it's timely that we're actually in the Gospel of Mark talking about fasting, that's pretty cool. Um, so fasting is the first thing I want to focus on, and then I want us to turn our attention to partying like Jesus. Yeah, you heard that right. I'm going to get into that, so, so 
keep your, keep your ears open. And then lastly, I want us to talk about throwing out old ways and putting on something new. So that's how we'll, we'll finish today. Um, so are you with me? It's a little journey of a couple, three, three, three things to discuss. So first thing, to fast or not to, to fast? That is the question. You can, you can think Shakespeare right now. To fast or not to fast? That is the question. Okay. So we're going to consider, should, should I fast? Should we fast? Should Christians fast? That, that, the whole discussion, we're going to talk about that right now. So look at, uh, look at your Bibles at verse 18, chapter 2 of Mark. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. So the typical thing for the rabbi to do, a rabbi is a teacher, so Jesus was a teacher of people, it would be to teach your disciples to fast. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what the religious people did. Religiously devout people would fast. But Jesus is not like other religious teachers and leaders. And he basically says, instead of fasting like the Pharisees do, Instead of fasting like John's disciples did, we see here Jesus basically saying, when you're with me, feast. Whenever you're, you're in, my, in my group, you know, I want you to be feasting, not fasting. And then when I'm away from you, that's the time to fast. But, but when, I, when I'm with you, feast. I can't help but have the image in my mind of the legend of Ricky Bobby, um, of, you know, remember Will Ferrell, he has kids, there's Walker, and then Texas Ranger, there's two kids, and they're at the dinner table, and they're, they're praying, right, and one of them goes, my Jesus, I like, the, you know, my Jesus likes to party, or something like that, right, well, in this case, actually, they're, they're kind of right, Jesus, actually, there's a sense in which Jesus does like to party, and we're going to talk about that second, after this, after this fasting discussion, so, um, there's some biblical uh, support for that. So, so this is the short answer uh, to the fasting discussion. Let's, let's dive deeper uh, to learn the, the full answer. Um, so the law of Moses only requires fasting on the Day of Atonement. On the, uh, this, uh, this day called the Day of Atonement. And you can find this in, in the Old Testament in your Bibles. If you turn back to uh, Leviticus, a book called Leviticus, chapter 16. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Leviticus 16, verses 29 and 30. And today this is known and still celebrated uh, by Jews as Yom Kippur. So if you have any Jewish friends, it's a 25-hour day set apart for feasting, I'm sorry, excuse me, for fasting and for prayer. And uh, some of you might be going, yeah, but there's also other seasons in the Bible where there's fasting. So if you're familiar, you're going, I can think of at least four other times in the Bible where people were fasting. Um, and you're right. And those examples are recorded in the Bible. They're recorded. But they are not commanded. And I want to draw this distinction here for us to think about for a second. So if you, if you say that you're a diabetic, for example, and, uh, and you record in your diary, you know, I went to the grocery store today. There's a difference between recording that and saying, I went to the grocery store today and I only ate Foods. I only bought foods that my doctor prescribed for me to eat. Right? There's a slight, there's a difference there between recording something and, and something that's commanded. Um, I'll bring up uh, something that a topic that annoys me, really quick. It's it's a pet peeve as a pastor. 
pet peeve as a pastor. Lots of peas. Okay. So, if you're still listening, um, like polygamy, there's another P, polygamy. Uh, it's in the Bible. There are examples of people having multiple wives, okay? But God nowhere gives approval of it. There's a difference between there being recorded an example of something in the Bible and then us actually being commanded and given approval by God to do something. So it's not commanded. We're commanded by Jesus to have one man cleave to his one wife, period. Paul gives the same ethic on marriage. Back to the point. Okay, circling back, focusing in on fasting. To fast in addition to this one day out of the year is just tradition. It's an addition to the biblical requirements. So the Pharisees, for example, as we hear, as we read in Mark, the Pharisees were known to be a group of Jews who were known for fasting two times a week. They were like the, they were the religiously zealous group of people, you know, and they, they made people aware of their fasting. So they were like, hey guys, I'm fasting for God today. Are you fasting for, for God today, bro? Every Tuesday and Thursday, I do my 24-hour fast, you know. Hey, yeah, that's what I do. There's this, this level of, they just, yeah, only the best for God, right? This, this very pious and very, ah, this is what I do for God. And they're just wearing the religion on their sleeves. Um, and John's disciples fasted because they were repenting and they were forerunners of this Messiah that, that, that had come. They fasted for a good reason, but they weren't required to do so. So, so I, if you're taking notes, uh, I want you to write this down. Whenever you're required, when, sorry, Whenever you're worried, whenever we are worried about what we should or should not do, we have to run to the Bible to see what it is that God says we must do. What does God require? Ask the question, what must I do? What does God require of me when you're thinking about the topic of fasting? What does God require of me when we're thinking about uh, worship, what we should do when rendering worship to God? And I, I, in the Bible, we, we want to only believe what God says we, we should do, right? We, we don't want to run to superstition, to I think God would say, or um, anything that is, that is man-made or made up uh, religion. So in the Bible, according to the Old Testament, when should you fast? Let's see who has their listening ears for this discussion. When is the one day? Not Tuesdays and Thursdays, that's the Pharisees. But you're listening, that's good. Day of what? The day of, everybody say it. The day of atonement, right. So one day out of the whole, that's the one. That would be the one day. Like, so then now the next question is, should Christians fast on the day of atonement like Jews do? To that question, the answer is no. So you're off the hook, you don't have to answer. Uh, we don't have to fast anymore. Uh, I want to explain to you why, according to Jesus. So let's read verse 20, where Jesus says this. He says, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. You see, if we, if we were to flip our pages, fast forward through the Gospel of Mark and jump ahead, we'd come to this part where Jesus goes to die on the cross. And we're going to talk a lot about that for Good Friday and Easter Sunday again coming up in April. Um, but what do all of his disciples do during that time? During that time, they're scattered. 
They're worried. It's not a season of celebration. It's not a season of, fast, of, of, of feasting. It's a desolate season of fasting. On the third day, though, Jesus rose up from the grave. And on that day, he puts an end to spiritual hunger. And on that day, he put an end to all spiritual thirst. And on that day, he put an end to death. And on that day, he put an on eternal life. And so we don't need to fast because our day of atonement was the day of atonement that Jesus gave us when he was crucified for us on the cross. Because three days after that, he rose from the dead. And so the day of atonement has ended once and for all for Christians because it's finished. And I love Bob's prayer this morning was was wonderful. emphasizing the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is what? Is he absent from us always? He's with us always. He says, I am present with you always, even to the close of the age. Matthew 28. That, that, that we're, we're constantly with Jesus now because of our union with Christ. Because through faith, we are joined, we are knit to him by the Spirit. So in that sense, it's always party time, <laughs> right? It's kind of always celebration time. So, so, so back to the question, should Christians fast? Uh, you certainly may. You can. You may fast. There are many good reasons to fast. Like some believers in the New Testament did sometimes. It can be appropriate to fast as a Christian. But don't let anyone ever fool you into thinking that you must fast, Okay? That's, that's, I'm stressing that point because I see so many people caught up in that. You never have to. Of course, in the New Testament, I want to give you some examples. There are benefits to fasting. And so I want you to write these down if you're, if you're taking some notes. Matthew 6, 16 through 28. Jesus says, when you fast, when speaking to his disciples. So I mean, it's assuming that you're going to fast at some point. Which, now we could say, what I just argued, that was the time, was around the cross. Then there's Acts 13, 2 through 3. Barnabas and Saul were ordained. And then finally, Acts 14, 23, when a church had appointed elders, they prayed and they fasted. And so that's another time, another uh, a season where fasting might be appropriate. So there are definitely times when fasting is appropriate, and we should consider joining fasting with prayer where we can seek God's will at times in our own discipleship even, but it's never a requirement, okay? Got that? Got it. Good. I had a a history teacher, uh, sorry, biology teacher who would always say, I'd be like, get it? And then you say, got it? Good. So if you choose to fast for a reason, you're free to do so. You're also free not to. I think I've stressed that point enough. We're good. Um, The more important lesson for us to learn is what comes next. And so it's not about fasting. It's about celebrating and about feasting. And that's a relief because I love to eat, right? Um, So who's who's with me on the eating? You guys like to eat? All right, cool. Yeah, it's a a human thing to eat. So, So against the backdrop of these two people, these two groups of fasters, comes Jesus announcing, hey, it's okay to be feasters, man. You know, it's okay to be a feaster. Um, I'm, I'm announcing to you not a great fast, but a great wedding feast. 
And so let's, let's look at the second point today. Let's party like Jesus. We're free to be feasters. So um, who noticed the imagery in, in verses 19, 19 through 20? Um, anybody want to take a, take a guess? What was, what was the, what's the imagery that we, that we see come out? That has to do with feasting. A wedding. That's right. It's a wedding. So I want to talk more about that now. So uh, w- one thing in the U.S., um, the average wedding cost... Uh, for 2017, does anybody want to take a step, uh, a guess? What was the average for the cost of a wedding? 30,000. 30, wow, you're really, yeah, you're, you're a little bit high. You're, uh, I think it was 25 was the average, but you're, you're not wrong because couples spent between 15,000 on the lowest end, sorry, 19,000, 19,000, so almost 20 grand, all the way up to uh, 32,000, so you're about right. So um, 50% of couples spent less than 15000 And that doesn't include the, include the cost for a honeymoon. So that's, that's, that's pretty steep. Um, I don't know if, I mean, we didn't go that direction. So you can. It's a, it's a question. What was that? What was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think, okay, in one sense we can say that, but then in another sense we can, we can go, this is right in a sense, that weddings should be costly, because weddings should be a big deal, right? I mean, there's a, there's a level in which I'm going, actually, this is kind of cool, because weddings need to be expensive, because we should take weddings getting married seriously. And so in that sense, I say it's a good thing that weddings are expensive. Um, but a wedding in the first century was expensive. It was not... Um, just your whole life waiting for one single day, right? It was, uh, it was a, a, a wedding season of an entire week that was a time for partying. I mean, you literally, you, you had to stop work, and you were supposed to, if you were a guest for a wedding, you were not supposed to work. You are supposed to party. That's what you are supposed to do. That was your duty as a guest for a whole week. So that is, that is like crazy rich Asian style. You know, like, come out to Singapore, we're going to do this the right way. That is like my, my family that I, the, that I married into, which is Italian wedding crazy, you know, all that stuff. Like, that is, that is it's, it's for, you don't just get married for a day. It's like you a whole week, you got friends and family, and you're partying. It's awesome. That's what we're talking about here, okay? So, so that's the kind of wedding that, 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 is, that, it, that people are gathering around in this description when Jesus brings up this, this, this notion of this bridegroom and this theme of this wedding. And it's an older way of saying, when you say bridegroom, that's kind of a weird word. I'll grant that. It's a strange word. It just means groom. It means the, the host of this week-long, week-long party. And so Jesus is comparing himself to a groom. And so when you go to a wedding... Uh, you aren't there to abstain from all the good food and dancing and, and drinking. And, you know, like you're, you're there. Uh, by the way, if, if you go to a wedding and you're like, I'm fasting. <laughs> you weird, dude. You weird. Don't do that. Okay? That's not right. Don't go to the wedding if you have to fast. When you go to a wedding, the right thing to do is to party. Okay? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Sweet. So God is not a, a cosmic buzzkill, okay? That's what, what I'm really hitting on. God actually does want you to enjoy your life, the life that he has made for you and given you. 
He has made everything, and he actually does want happiness for you. This is not health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm not preaching that message. That is a different message from this. I'm just saying simply, God has made your life, and he does want you to enjoy the life he's given you. Because it's a gift. And so rejoice in him. Thank him. God, thank you so much for the life you gave me. Giving thanks for the good gifts that he gives is what is right. There's a right time to laugh. There's a right time to party. There's a right time to celebrate. You know, happiness is contagious. So like that laughter, it's, it's fun when like it's a couple of people over here are laughing. And it's like, like the whole, it's like the wave when you're watching the Padres. Basically, when you're watching the Padres in San Diego, the only thing you can do is eat good food and watch the crowds because nothing's really happening on the field, right? Okay. Happiness is contagious. That's the main point. That was a low blow. But happiness is contagious. We should actually exert, we should be, Christians, should be the happiest group of people on the face of this planet. Why? Not because we're, we're having the best life now, but because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. We have so much to celebrate. It's good. To, it feels good. It should feel good. Um, so Christians should be happy. But like I said, Jesus compares himself to a bridegroom. Now, where else in the Bible do we find that language? I want to tell you. Uh, we find the language of this bridegroom in the Old Testament in a book that's known as Hosea. Say Hosea. Anybody? Hosea. Okay. Um, not too many Hoseas. You don't meet, I mean, I've not met a Hosea, actually, now that I think about it. Has anybody met a Hosea? Okay. Yeah. So. So it's not a common, common word, at least in this room. Uh, so if you're not familiar with that book, um, it can be broken down like this. There, there was a man, and God told this man to marry a loose woman, um, putting that lightly. And so he does, and so they're, they're husband and wife, and she continues to cheat on her husband. I was listening to the radio earlier this week, and uh, they were giving examples of how fast, how early it was that... Um, the spouse cheated on the, on the other partner. Um, it was awful to listen to. Within three days, and a lot of people said, actually the same wedding day, they were giving examples and talking about it happening, literally, of the wedding evening, at the, at the wedding. Um, awful. So God tells his husband to stay faithful to this bride and to stay with her. Can you imagine how hard that would be as the groom? That husband is who God is. The wife is who the nation of Israel was. The husband is the kind of God who God presently is. And the wife is the kind of people that we actually are. That's the message of Hosea. And so chapter 2 of Hosea, the prophet, says, in spite of all the cheating and unfaithfulness, God says this. Hosea 2, 16 and 19. I'm going to read this. Listen. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. That's a name for an idol. Verse 19, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. Whew. I mean, that is, that is gospel right there. Straight gospel. Jesus does not want us caught up in worrying about religion. He wants to know you, and wants, wants you to know him. And he wants you to know this about him, that, that he is a faithful groom, that he is a faithful husband, 
And he will always remain faithful and steadfast for you, being your best advocate, perfect groom. So do you want that? Let's, let's turn to our final thing here. Uh, old ways may die, die hard, but there's another way. Old, days, old ways may die hard, but there's another way. Wow, I could have made that point something else. <clears throat> Anyways. Jesus uses two ordinary examples to illustrate something extraordinary. And so I want to talk about these two ordinary examples. One is from clothing, clothing that we're wearing. The other one's from wine. Uh, so let's look at these two examples here. Verses 21 and 22 of our passage. So 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and the worst tears made. Verse 22, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And so let's, let's look at the, verse, the first ordinary example, verse 21. So if your clothing shrinks in the wash, um, would you try to fix it by adding a brand new piece of clothing and you know, tying it together and, and just trying to like, is that the way to fix it? Of course not. That would be silly. Uh, you, you throw out the old clothing that's ruined. Just use the new clothing. Don't waste it, right? Why waste the new? That's his point. Second ordinary example, verse 22, is with wine and wineskins. Now, a wineskin was a bag... I actually grew up, I had a wineskin as like a toy. I don't know why I had that wineskin. I got to talk to my mom about that. That's weird. But um, like maybe it was a grandparent's. I don't know. Anyways, um, that's weird. Okay. Uh, so, but a wine, for everyone else, but a wineskin, what is a wineskin? It's, it was an animal skin that's used to store wine while you're traveling, kind of like a little satchel, and it's kind of shaped like, um, like this is a bag with like a little top, like a lid. So we're really advanced in the 21st century um, because I was standing in line at Nordstrom Rack, and I kid you not, I found a wineskin. But it wasn't a wineskin like the same like actual animal skin. That's like what the hipsters use, I'm sure of it. That's like the real way. Um, but, but the modern day wineskin, it's called the, the wineskin bottle bag. It was made out of plastic, and you can buy it, and it fits a whole bottle of wine while you're traveling. I think the goal is not to have, when you're traveling, you don't want to break glass or something like that. So they say, buy this, and then you don't have to break glass. That's, so we think we're so advanced, but we, we're still traveling with wineskins at the end of the day. Right? The ancients had it right. So, Anyways, uh, so the ordinary example here that Jesus uses is a common way of saying uh, that, that, that a used wineskin starts to stretch and it gets worn by the wine, and so you can't keep reusing it. If you put brand new wine into that wineskin, what's going to happen? It's going to burst everywhere. You're going to lose the wine, and your wineskin's going to be bust. That's what's going to happen. So we get the, we get the point. It's basic. Uh, so what's the big deal with these two ordinary examples? The big deal is this, that Jesus has not come to make us better so we can finally do the religious thing right. But Jesus has come because we can never get the religious thing right. I'll say that again. Jesus has not come to make us better so we can finally do the religion, the religion thing right. But Jesus has come because we can never get it right. I'll put it in a different way. Um, the torn cloth and the burst wineskin. That shows us, these pictures show us that Jesus is not here to make peace with all religious ways of trying to approach 
a holy God. But actually war on that whole thing. It's spiritual warfare. And to follow Jesus is to radically and destructively say to the old ways of approaching God, no thank you, I'm following Jesus now. And his way leads me to joy and peace and happiness rather than condemnation and guilt. His way leads me to celebrate and rejoice, not to hang my head so low because I'm always carrying this heavy burden around wherever I go, wherever I walk, feeling guilty all the time. I'm free in Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. And so the clothing we wear apart from Christ is, as St. Paul puts it in Philippians 3, it's rubbish. It's filthy rags, as Isaiah says it too. And the wine we drink, maybe not literally, but figuratively, apart from Christ, is sour wine. Our clothing is rags. Our wine is sour unless by faith, through faith in Jesus, through faith in Jesus, we put on brand new clothing, we drink fine, well-aged wine. That's how we really look. This is our true estate before God. We're not holy, we're filthy. We're not right, we are unright. Something's very wrong with us. And so you can try to go about religion in all of the, the, the wrong ways. You can. Uh, all the old ways. You can tr- keep trying to be religious. Go for it. Keep trying. Keep counting on all your efforts at being a good person. Keep tallying up how nice you are to other people. Keep counting how many good deeds we have done today, acts of kindness and the rest. But all of that is the old way, the old wineskin, the old clothing. And it's shriveled up and it's falling apart. And if you live that way, it's going to burst. That is Jesus' point. Can't stress it enough. And all it does is draw attention to the fact that we are wearing filthy rags and we think our clothing don't stink, right? So doesn't it wear you out to try to please a distant God by trying hard to earn his approval every day? Man, that is a rough way to live life under that heavy burden, under that heavy load. I hope that if, you're, if you are experiencing that, if that's life right now for you, I pray that you're going to be free of that, that you'll find a freeing God. Some people live the opposite way. You know? So some people are in this religious camp. The others are in the non-religious camp where it's like, hey, God loves me. I can do whatever I want. And we're not going to talk about that today, uh, but that's also an error. So uh, if, if, you, if you find yourself as a, as a religious person, if that describes you, <clears throat> that's how you talk to people. You, you, you say, I'm a religious person. I want to give you three rules for you. So for the rule followers, rule number one, don't be more religious than Jesus. Rule number two, don't go beyond what God actually requires. And rule number three, do know that religion can't save you. That is the whole point of of rules. So I'll I'll say that one more time. Don't be religious, more more religious than Jesus. Don't go beyond what God actually requires. And three, do know that religion can't save you. That is is the best that religion can do. It can show you that you can't save yourself. That's it. That's where the line is drawn. And that's why we need the gospel. So if 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 you identify as a rule follower, a religious person, I dare you today to believe. Dare you. I dare you to believe. I dare you to stop doing. I dare you to believe. 
and see what happens. You might find that you'll have kept more rules that way than you ever really kept the other way. And you might not be such a hard-headed person about it. Because Jesus shows us a different way. It's a better way. It's a brand new way. Instead of saying, do this, he says, believe this, and it's done already. He says, I have done this perfectly for you. So you don't have to keep trying. You don't have to keep doing because I have done it. And because I've done it, you might start doing. By believing in me, it's as if you had done everything perfectly for God. The record is set straight. God accepts you and he loves you. And so that's the gospel of this kingdom. And as as we heard in the call to worship this morning from Isaiah 55, verse 1, God's promise through Jesus for us doesn't look like failure, but it looks like success. It's paid with, with his grace. Listen to this again. God invites us into this. He says, come, everyone who thirsts. He He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Isaiah 55, 1. That's the kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing, that Mark's gospel is painting. Don't you want to be part of that kingdom? I mean, seriously, like that is, that is incredible. No price tag, just come. Show up and I'm going to gift you all of this. I'm going to gift you myself. In J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, character, Samwise Gamgee, we all love Sam, friend of, of Frodo, um, diligent, faithful friend, um, there, to, there to the bloody end. Uh, once he told Gandalf uh, the White, as he as he revealed in sorry, as he revels in in the beauty of how this great epic tale ends. Right, he says he says this. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? That's how he ends it. Is everything sad going to become untrue? Everything sad and bad is going away in Christ. Sin, every crimson stain, every scarred and broken heart is turning back. And you know what's clicking forward? Peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, love, community, fellowship, true unity in Christ. And everything, body and soul, all of creation will finally be very good again because of the gospel in Jesus. So God's doing something completely new, something completely different through the gospel. Will you join the party? Will you start celebrating? Will you start rejoicing? Start being happy? Come on, I need some smiles. Smiles are contagious, right? There's a couple smiles. Fake it till you make it, brother. Come on. A little, little smile. God is doing something completely new. It's an invitation to God's wedding, his wedding party. It's happening right now today. So will you come? Are you going to come to the party? (laughs) Don't miss that party. It's a good party. It's going to be a great feast too. Happy are all of you who trust in Jesus today. Amen. Let's pray.